Adam, I think we've officially done enough episodes to do a best of episode. Matt, as amateur podcasters, it's probably more mediocre than best. It's showtime. This is The Ski Show, the ultimate show ski podcast, bringing you news, knowledge, in-depth interviews with legends and stars of our sport, and a little bit of fun. Here are your hosts, Matt Heilman and Adam Schaller. Welcome to the Ski Show, the only media on the planet dedicated to this awesome sport of show skiing. Summer is cruising right along and we've had some incredible episodes. And today we're sharing some of our favorite highlights that we're sure you'll love. And we'll jog your memory to listen to the full episode or even re-listen to some of your favorite past episodes. Today's episode is sponsored by Flyman Skis custom-made jump skis and featherboard swivel skis at affordable prices. Get yours at flymanskis.com. And by the board shop, all of your summer and winter board sports gear is yours at bswake.com. Well, Adam, there's been a couple of regional tournaments already. Uh, you know, we're, we're heading up to Wisconsin State, and uh, but the Southern Regionals, has already been held, uh, as well as the Central Regionals. want to recap a little bit about those. In the South, Cypress Gardens took first place, Tampa second, Sarasota third, and Carolina took fourth. And we had some individuals. Uh, Trina Sardinia, outstanding female. Lance Robbins, outstanding male. Darian LeBlanc won open swivel. Allie Kremrai was second, and Maddie Hageman was third. Yeah, it's good tournament, you know. Uh, and you usually from the south, right, you don't get often that they come to nationals. Well, we did find out that the Carolina team, which we've talked about before we knew, is going to come to nationals. So despite the fourth place finish at regionals, they're going to be coming to nationals. It's going to be super exciting. Uh, they've got a great young team and a lot of talent up and coming. Sounded like a blast at Southern Regionals. Uh, Maddie Hageman and Jack Lyman won the open pair swivel. Pete Haggerty won freestyle jump, made his back half and his front half. Liam Klotzbach took second. Uh, and a super fun one, Cal O'Connor won a barefoot endurance competition over Otis Wilson. And if people know the name Otis Wilson, he was a Cypress Gardens legend, a phenomenal barefooter at the Gardens back in the day. And uh, Cal took him on head-to-head -head and won in the barefoot endurance competition. And remind me, how old is Cal? Cal is 12. 12, 13 years yeah. old. Oh, man. 13, that, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. Good for him. Yep. Good stuff. Congrats to all the Southern Regionals. Uh, well done. Congrats to Cypress Gardens on first place. Central Regionals was just this last weekend, and interesting results. Wonder Lake was first, which isn't all that interesting. They've, they're frequent flyers at the top of their Central Regional. But second place was the Lake City Skiers took second place ahead of third place Backwater Gamblers and fourth place Chippewa Lake. How about that for Lake City? That's 
awesome. I mean, it's, uh, you know, so they're, they're headed into nationals. Uh, that's, I mean, second place yeah. behind Wonder Lake. And, I so mean, the question it, that, is great. like, and they're going to be hosting nationals. So they hosted regionals. They're going to yep. be hosting nationals. They're going to be at home. Yep. What can they sneak into the top seven, into the top five, into the top three? Like, what's Lake City gonna do at nationals? They, I saw highlights of that show. They had some cool stuff: good jumping, some cool backbreakers, the two boat one act show. They got some great stuff going. Uh, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be interesting to see how this uh, shakes out. Yeah, they can take that momentum from from regionals, and now they've got uh, what four weeks until until nationals and continue to tweak and work on their show and, and, yeah. and bring it at their home site for the national tournament. Yep, that'll be fun. Uh, Paige Pashina won outstanding female. Scott DePorter won the outstanding male. Paige also won the pair swivel with Bria and she won the open swivel over Bria. Bria uh, suffered an unfortunate fall on her beach start, uh, which she has talked about on social media a little bit. It happens to the best, right? It, it happens to everyone, and uh, Bria, Bria had an unfortunate fall, but rebounded, took second place in the swivel. Uh, congrats to Paige on that. So great stuff, a lot of good action at the Central Region. And like you said, you know these, this regional is early, right? Yeah. It's two weeks yep. before our Wisconsin State, and now they've got time to ramp up for nationals. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we, we hit Wisconsin State, and then you know we've essentially got – two what two weeks until three weeks yeah. two three weeks till national so it's yeah. it's a compressed period of time so so less less time to prepare after our regional so yeah, yeah i hope those central teams get after it you bet well let's uh get to this week's tips in segment it is tournament time and you guys are getting tournament scores handed back to you at your regional tournaments we want to talk a little bit about how to use and understand your tournament scores to make your team and your show better. The first basic thing is to review your scores, all of them. Like look at each judge's score, look at your composite uh, uh, scores form. Your box score explanations are often very helpful. Uh, the judges now have to put more written explanation in for the box scores. So make sure you're kind of pouring over those and trying to understand. We're gonna probably do a live stream session sometime after nationals on breaking down scores and how we read scores and, and give people some tips and insight and how to, how to dive in and look at their scores. But if you're looking at your scores and have questions, don't hesitate to reach out. The officials are always also wide open to questions uh, and, and help and providing help and assistance in understanding your scores and, and helping you get, make your show better. But the first step is reviewing those scores, right? Absolutely. And, and please understand that the scoring system is not perfect. It doesn't matter what sport you're in. Uh, so there's probably going to be some outliers in terms of scores. You just need to take those uh, with a grain of salt. And another thing, don't just look at your scores. Look at the other team scores. You know mm -hmm. what are the you know what's being rewarded? What are the trends that you see, and and what can you learn from their scores that perhaps you can apply to your show? Yeah, hundred percent. And that's uh, and that can even be for tournaments you're not at. Like people will share scores, or you can get them. Uh, but like I'm curious at how Lake City's uh, two boat one act show scored. 
I'm curious about their backbreaker act because we're doing something similar. I'm curious about how other things score and what the trends are in the scoring so that maybe we can use that to our advantage or we can see where we're struggling in one area and might enhance in another area. So yes, looking at what other teams are scoring. And then how do you make tweaks to your show based on what you've learned? Now you're not going to this time of year, you're not going to overhaul your show. If you're looking at tweaks between a regionals and a nationals, it's small stuff. It's You're not making major overhauls, but how can you enhance certain acts to have them execute better or increase that difficulty a little bit? How can you get more points in the box scores? And we've said it a million times in this show, and... The three biggest box scores, I don't know if people know this or understand it, but you got to look at the box scores and the explanation sheet. Production, showmanship, and sound, which sound and announcing, sound crew, are all worth 250 points each. They're the three highest point value box scores. More than towboat driving, more than pickup driving, more than... Anything else in the box scores, production, showmanship, and sound and announcing. And and as you know, and, and you can chime in here, you know, your sound and announcing, there's certain things you can do. You can have more sound effects. You can uh, change music. And uh, if some didn't fit the theme, you can do those things. Sometimes, though, you're pigeonholed into the quality of your announcer and you can only grow so much there, but there are things you can do. The value of an announcer improving and their value to your overall show is immense, and that's a huge box score. Yeah, and right, it's and but it also depends on you know how well your your show is skied as well, right? Yeah. Your, your your announcer, your sound, everything tends to get elevated if you ski a cleaner show. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless. This is those three box scores being the three largest. Uh, a lot of those, you know, a lot of those points are what uh, we refer to as winter points, right? Yep. The more you practice those, uh, the higher the score. So that those are again are all about repetition. And not only should you be reviewing your scores after tournaments, but the your stage crew, uh, all your skiers should be watching the video as painful as that can be sometimes to see where they can improve those easy points. Yeah, and we've said it over and over. you got to spend time on that stuff. you got to spend time practicing and preparing your production, your stage. You've got to practice your intros and your dances and make them sharp. You just, you just have to, and those are huge points in the box score. So that's it. Uh, if you want more help understanding your tournament scores, you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Reach out to an official. They are happy to help. Uh, the scores are there for you. It's it's the scores you earned at a tournament. And you, if you have questions or you want to learn from those, it's all there for you. So that is this week's segment of Tips In. Before we dive in now, Adam, to today's best of episode, where we highlight some of our previous episodes and content, we need to highlight the best of our sponsors. And that's clearly Flyman Skis. Yep. Flyman skis, uh, they're awesome. Custom design, jump skis, featherboard, swivel skis, uh, and they're everywhere. And again, I was reminded at our show on Sunday that they are everywhere. Uh, we have a junior program 
So we do uh, once a week, juniors come down, they practice their skills, and then they do a junior show prior to our main show on Sundays. And a junior dad, so the dad of one of our junior skiers, comes walking into the ski site with a, player, with a pair of Flyman jump skis on his shoulder mm-hmm. that his, his son in our junior program uh, is using. So they are, you know, from the very top-level athletes all the way down to the up-and-comer, up-and-coming juniors, Flyman skis are literally everywhere. Yep, and the designs are so killer. Jack's doing an awesome job. The stuff that they've been posting out recently is so good. They're working hard to keep up uh, with all the demand because they are the best product on the market right now. Get yours at flymanskis.com. That's flymanskis.com. All right, time to get to the best of the Ski Show podcast. Enjoy. Let's dive in. Today is a fun episode. We are recapping some of our favorite moments, some of our best episodes, just a few of them. We're not going through all of them. We have been around since April of 2020. We have had over 80 episodes broadcast, but we thought it'd be fun to remind you of some of the stuff from the past. We've had some entertaining guests, some informative topics. And we just want to recap and share a little bit of what we're calling some of the best of the Ski Show podcast. The first one we're going to share with you is a couple of stories from our episode called Pro Show Shenanigans. That was a hilarious one. If you have not checked it out, on this episode, we have Steve Bates and Steve Hoblitzel in particular sharing some awesome, hilarious stories from their pro show days. The first story they share is the long storied tradition of new skiers at Cypress Gardens. When they first get in a jump act, they do not make it back to the beach. Fun stuff. Yeah, the, uh, I can I can continue with what Blitz was talking about, about taking people out, which was tradition in, in the garden show, as you would, like somebody like myself who... I was hired at the gardens um, thinking I was just this great I man from way, way Northern Wisconsin and tiny little team couldn't do flips, could barely do helis. And I'm, I'm up there thinking I'm just this great skier. I get to the gardens and I'm like, did Corky the clown for four months straight. <laughs> so you just work. Like I just would grind between shows and you finally fight. You finally learn flips. You finally get into a jump back. And I mean, you just get, like as soon as you land and the guys can see that you made it, you're you're gone. And and for me, I wasn't a very good skier. But then you get guys like and it didn't matter who you were, like Jeff Schmick, for example, yep. came over from from SeaWorld, and he I mean I, we all know Schmick, an yeah. exceptional skier. He was like in his prime and switched to like switch teams, came to Cypress Gardens. So we got to take Jeff Schmick out and <laughs> or like a guy like Blitz, like and so sometimes you're taking out guys that can just bury you. So by the time I think Schmick took down a couple guys and it doesn't, and that's the one thing like pro shows, it's not like you get in trouble if you fall, but if, if you fall and it's blatantly <laughs> obvious, you know, people are paying to watch you. So, um, but that they always turn a blind eye to that. Like it can be a big, like a two o'clock show with 5,000 people in the stands and it's just carnage out there trying to take that guy out. So <laughs> and it goes on for like out. half the circle. Totally. So it's not like it's quick. It goes oh, on no. around the corner oh, yeah. and right in front of the stands and people are like, what the hell? So this isn't in like 
practice the first four man. No, guys made. it's this in the show. In bud. A live oh. show. You're taking this dude down. Yep. That's and it doesn't awesome. matter who it is. And then like Zane, I remember Zane's first, this is like 92 and Zane was like the size of my thumb. I mean, that when that kid started <laughs> at the, the gardens, he couldn't have weighed 130 pounds, tiny little kid. Like, and he was in his first jump act and John Kiefer, who you guys probably may not know. Oh, he he's a, giant. Oh, John, John, John is yeah, he's like six, like five NBA. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I skied with him in the nineties. And when he did a heli, it was like, I mean, it was like a, I mean, just would take everybody out with him. And he just, he put Zane in the two spot and just went right into him like three to two. And just, I mean, poor little Zane was like, I mean, just chopped him to pieces. <laughs> I mean, the guys then go on to talk about another long-standing locker room tradition at Cypress Gardens that they would probably not get away with today. Another thing we used to do to, to rookies, this, I mean, we could probably go to jail for this, uh, <laughs> is when you started at the Gardens, I think it was kind of after me, and it didn't really matter if you were a skier or an announcer or like a sound person, is they would, they, we, <laughs> I mean, I might have helped. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to the gardens. I don't know if the Lego is still the same way, but the bench through the middle of the locker room was bolted to the floor. So it wasn't that you couldn't pick the bench up and move it. It was just like bolted to the floor. And we used to like, somebody would be on their first day, hold them to the bench and duct tape, wrap them all the way around, like forehead, chest, hands, feet. You could not move. Um, and then if you've ever used like Bengay on your body, on your like sword, like it burns pretty bad. Well, they, they make a liquid version of it called Absorbing Junior, which is rough. Like liquid heat. <laughs> it's rough. And we would we would uh, diligently apply that to your, their bathing suit area and then and then go ski the show. And, and so, while, so they're duct taped. Duct taped. Duct taped with Bengay on their nuts. Uh, they're, they're duct taped naked to this bench. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yes. yes. Okay. So, so I'll take that one, that one a step further, which again, my lawyer said to tell me that I may or may not have witnesses firsthand. This may just be hearsay. So put that in there. I want that on the record. Don't you edit that out. So, and I'm not going to name the person by name, but during this time, uh, it's kind of similar to what base is talking about. We had hired somebody and we were short staffed. We desperately needed skiers. And so we hired this young 18 year old kid. Um, he happened to be a Florida skier. And again, so I'm not going to name names. Well, he calls in, he works one day, then he calls in sick the next two days in a row. And on day three, his mom calls in sick for him. So on day four, when that kid finally shows up, we're like, we've worked all week without you. So not only did we just do the duct tape treatment to the bench, the liquid heat, we left him there for an entire show. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So we're like. We've been good with you out all week, bud. So here we go. We'll do one more show without you. Let's learn a lesson. I guarantee you that kid, as long as I still work at the gardens, he never called in sick again, by God. In our episode titled The Life and Times of Skip Gilkerson, we had legendary guests Matt May and Mark Jackson on to talk all about Skip Gilkerson, his past, his life, and his impact on show skiing. In this particular clip, Matt talks about the confidence that Skip instilled in him as a young freestyle jumper and a story on the eve of one of the tour stops when Matt was 16 years old uh, when Skip told the family that he was diagnosed with cancer and Matt ended up having a phenomenal tournament. 
Uh, well, one of the things I always remember about Skip and dealing with anyone is that he gave whoever he was coaching, he gave you the ultimate confidence. It didn't matter what the conditions were or who was hot or, you know, how many challengers there were. I just remember him, you know, his voice in my ear. Um, and no matter what he said, it just always made me feel like I could do it. Um, so I'll give you a little story. Um, uh, when my tour days sort of kicked off, it was uh, 93, April 93. Skip um, at the Orlando tournament, sat us down. My brother and sister and I pulled us in a room, told us he'd been diagnosed with cancer and he had six weeks to live. And we all went, oh, shit. And we just crying and, you know, wasn't even thinking about skiing. So the next pro tour was Phoenix. And I was 16, 17. I sort of made a couple finals, but, but hadn't really hit into it yet. And uh, I had this skier uh, the night before, Friday. So with freestyle back then, you skied Saturday morning was the challenge. And then Saturday afternoon at the event, it was only an exhibition. Well, this uh, smart-ass tour veteran named Rusty Stewart told me the night before that I could do his exhibition for him tomorrow because uh, he knew that I wouldn't qualify. And um, he said, yeah, Matt, you can do my exhibition tomorrow. So anyway, back to Skip. He had another appointment. So he's still in this six weeks to live thing. I'm thinking this is the last time he might see me ski. So it gets me emotional thinking about it. But uh, anyway, I skied the best I've ever skied, qualified second, uh, and ended up getting second again in the finals. So that was a moment in time for me where my career really took off, um, just knowing that I wanted to do the best for Skip. And he gave me that confidence. And from then on, the next two or three years, I started placing pretty much every tournament and uh, got a few seconds and, and started putting my name on, on the sport. And that was, you know, all kick-started from Skip and his, his uh, belief in me. One of our most popular episodes was our episode titled Kids Talking. We had four different young adults, teenage kids on the episode, and it was hilarious. In this clip, young Eli Carson talks about Mr. Joe Sawaska. Do you get to hang out at Legoland with your brothers or not? Well... The first time I went, I got to go like backstage and stuff and say what's up to Hunter and Mr. Joe. But now it's just kind of like in the stands, I always sit at the edge and they like poke their head out and we talk and stuff. Cool. When you say Mr. Joe, is that Joe Sawaska? Yep. The one and only animal. Does he make you call him Mr. Joe? No. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be awesome if he did. And then my daughter, Riley Heilman, and Skylar Richling talk about what it's like growing up in a Shosky family and what it's like showing up to tournaments with well-known Shosky parents. How's your life been in show skiing? Um, Unlike Eli, I don't have any sisters, so I don't have any like rivalries with my siblings, but I have like a long line of family members, like Kristen Block, my aunt. She was a national champion, two-time Will Cook winner. Like, that's a lot to, like, believe that she's my aunt. And then I'm obviously Matt Highland's daughter. Like, 
Yeah, what's that, that like, Riley? Being Matt Heilman's daughter, like that's nobody knows you by your name. That's like they're just like, hey, that's Matt's daughter. Yeah, but I think it's cool because then I can just like brag on people. Cool. I'm like, oh yeah, like my dad's famous, so I don't think you like understand that. <laughs> my dad's famous. <laughs> your dad it's is not so famous. true though. <laughs> Everyone. Dad- Everyone knows who Matt Heilman is in water skiing. Like, you can't lie. Skylar, do you feel that way about your dad? Like, yes. everybody knows oh, who Jason Richling is? As the Richling kids. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, but, and like, you guys, Riley knows this. Like, we walk into it, you, you first show up at regionals or nationals, and you're walking into the park. What happens when you're walking with your family? Oh, my God. You can't walk, like, two steps without meeting like 500 million people and you don't even know most of them. Uh-huh. I always like follow my dad around, not to spend time with him, but just to like <laughs> talk to people. <laughs> like I want to like communicate, like I want to like know people. So you want to be people. a part of the action. Uh-huh. So I follow you around because you talk to like a thousand people in a day. We had a two-part freestyle jump episode featuring... Zane Schwenk, Scotty Clack, Derek Buckman, and Pete Hegarty. Phenomenal episodes all about freestyle jump. And in this particular clip, Zane talks about the early 1990s freestyle tour and going to battle with Dave the Dog Reinhardt. For me, uh, summer 94, uh, I think it was uh, Minneapolis, um, tour stop i somehow put it together and um you know had a had a great one ski mode which was not my forte at all um but then had a, a big uh uh discombobulator and stuck it and i knew if i if i could pull off the the front half then you know i'd put a lot of pressure on dave the dog reinhardt who was who was the, the you know unbelievable the guy, you couldn't stop him. He had one eye. He had two eyes, but he should have worn a patch. Um, but he was just amazing. And, um, but uh, I, I just, I felt like I was in the groove. I was in the zone and I stuck that. And that was uh, the first time I'd won and, you know, got to really kind of feel like I was going to challenge him a little bit. Uh, he, he went on to keep continuing to kick my butt. But, uh, but, uh, you know, that was, that was just really fun. That was a good time. So that's an, that's awesome. And can, let me, can I interject something about Reinhardt? I'd like to hear from Scott and Zane quick. Mm-hmm. He won a lot of tour stuff because he mastered the front mob, right? Like that was the highest scoring jump, but was, was he also kicking your ass at other jumps or was it really, that he had mastered that better than others. So I'll let you go, Scott, because it, it, it changed a little bit when he got to the discombobulator, I would say, you know? Yeah, I was kind of work. He's probably the reason why I retired because <laughs> it's just <laughs> that one ski stuff. I was like, good grief. I, I, yeah, he, he brought a whole different level when they started doing that trick. And then, uh, and then he got real comfortable on one ski too. So I think um, I think that really set him apart for sure. Okay. 
Yeah, for me, that that trick was his like ace in the hole. The d- degree of difficulty was relatively high. He could he could take it, you know, pretty far for for uh, what we were doing. Um, when we got into the back landing stuff, it was kind of fun because we were going, you know, neck and neck quite a bit. Um, and then I remember in nineteen, uh, I think it was ninety five, he changed his style a little bit and turned a little bit later trying to make it prettier, which I never tried to make anything pretty. I just try to land on my back or my ribs and <laughs> pop up. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, that was that trick for him. I, it was clutch. Um, he could, he could pull out of that and, you know, go about, you know, 90 plus feet or more. And, mm-hmm. and in this clip, Pete Haggerty and Derek Buckman talk about, the revitalization of freestyle jump today is owed in large part to the Buck Up Pro Freestyle Tour. For me, I think it's pretty much 100% the, the Buck Up Tour. I mean, before the calendar year of 2022, I had never once cut out a ramp on one ski other than a gainer. You know, I had never done a one ski LD flip. So, you know, just in 2022, I learned to cut out a ramp on one ski for a flip. Uh, back half and the front half, and I would have no reason to have learned any of those without the buck up tour. Yeah, I'd say same for me. I had no desire, lick of a thought in my mind about trying any backwards landing tricks. Um, then yeah, Carter brought up the tour, and I was like, well, shit, I want to do well, so mm-hmm. like, I might as well do this. I have a reason to do it. I'm not just gonna go compete for my team at state and national, so I have, can do something better for myself. So yeah, that was that was a huge thing for me too. It was a tour. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I always wanted to do these things, but there's no reason to, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to go beat myself up just because it's, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just with having the tour and it's like, you know, you, you start hanging out with your buddies and, you know, we have, we're having a couple of drinks and we get looking at the DOD chart and mm-hmm. it's like, well, what can we try next? What's going to score higher, you know, and you're, you're starting to like plot your, plot your three tricks and, and what can, what can work in an ideal situation, but Yeah, just kind of all those things. Not all of our episodes have guest interviews about their life and history in show skiing. Sometimes we go for informative topics to help educate the audience a little bit. We often have frequent flyer guest David Raisin on the show. And in our episode called How to Maximize Your Scores, we did an entire segment about flow that can probably help you and your show. There's another thing, right? Even if, even if the skiing is not great that night, if your flow is good, holy smokes, it makes a, like I said, kind of a mediocre ski show that seems to drag on for two hours. You know, if your flow is great, boom, that 60 minutes goes by in a flash. Yeah, I think this is one area that Matt and I talk the most at, uh, about at Think Tank and our show directing 101 and our show production tanks, and that is – you know, despite the size of the club, you know, flow has got to be a component that you you spend a lot of time reflecting on. And I think where so many teams, especially small to medium-sized teams, they've become a little bit disheartened because they take a look at these difficulty matrices that are out there right now. And they say, well, you know, hey, I, you know, we can't score uh, a 20 plus uh, point difficulty in a given act. And, and, and that's true because they don't either have the volume of skiers or they don't have the difficulty or the skill level. 
but what they can do is they can have awesome flow. So even a uh, show that is, you know, uh, somewhat average or below average and, and, and not in a bad way, but in terms of difficulty or even to a certain point execution can have really, really strong flow and bulk up that scores. And I mean, your four box scores, difficulty, execution, flow, and spectator appeal, that's where really, you know, the, 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 the thought has got to be put in, in terms of having uh, a high point value associated with your overall show. And there's, and there's a couple of different things with flow for people to think about. So flow can be, actually there's a few, flow within an act, how tight are your boat patterns? How do things flow once the act is on the water? Is there something in front of the crowd at all times? Two, flow can be, how do you transition from act to act? Is it, can you go from a jump act straight into a swivel act with no break in between and that next act is on the water? That's flow. At the same time, you can also earn high flow points when you have breaks and delays in your show. And people don't realize that. This You got to calm the water for a barefoot line. Uh, there's going to be a two-minute break there to calm the water. You have to get people set up for a big act, uh, things of that nature, you're going to have breaks in your show. Not every two-minute break in your show is equal. The show that has the announcer standing on stage saying nothing or looking around for the next act, your flow is going to suck and you're not going to get very good points. The team that has a really entertaining skit and they've got something funny or something entertaining going on on stage and your attention is on the main stage and then all of a sudden the skiing hits the water and you're like, you're surprised to see it and it comes, that transition from stage to water is good flow. And you can get really good flow points with the same two minute break by having something entertaining on stage and then transitioning seamlessly, like look to the left-hand side, here comes our trick skier, whatever it is, that flow can be good by the entertainment value that's in that break. Yeah, I was just going to, you said the word entertainment. So don't look just at flow as a time interval or a variable. You have to look at it as an entertainment value ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the announcer, the stage crew, we are a distraction. We are distracting the crowd while the next act is getting ready. And mm -hmm. to have be that entertaining, you're engaging the crowd, you're drawing them in. They're so focused on what's going on on stage that that two minutes flies by and just like, boom, there's the next act. So mm -hmm. as an announcer, as a stage person, you have to know where those breaks are and you have to plan accordingly. Because again, like Matt said, if you're just standing there kind of looking around for the next act, like it's going to be a really long two minutes, mm -hmm. <laughs> really long two minutes. And flow, I mean, think about it. Flow affects a lot of things. It's going to affect your boat driving score, mm -hmm. right? It's going to affect your announcer, all of that. I mean, all your of production. that. Production has element. isn't just your theme. It has elements of how the show is put together. Yep. In our box scores podcast, which Kevin Feline once said is required listening for show skiers and show directors all over, we talked about some of the box scores that are the most important, in particular, production and showmanship.
Let's dive into kind of the big money um, box score. So showmanship is its own box score and it's 250 points. And then overall show is uh, a collective 550, I believe. Let me count that. 525. 525. It's 525. So overall show is 525. We don't give any awards in this category except for docket equipment, which is worth 25 points. Uh, It's just a little pet peeve of mine. Um, But showmanship is worth 250. Production is worth 250. Introductions are worth 100. Act variety is worth 100. And costuming and makeup is worth 50. Uh, And then docking equipment, 25. And so the big money things there are production and showmanship. Those are a combined 500, 250 each. And it's more than towboat driving. They're worth more than announcing and sound. Um, showmanship mm-hmm. and production are the biggest point value box scores. Okay, then tell me, what is showmanship? What is it? What is showmanship? Well, yeah. in, in, in terms of what it's outlined um, within the policy and procedures manual, it's the appearance of the participants. It's actually broken down. But there's not a set value with each of the four pieces of criteria. So the four pieces of criteria are the appearance of the participants, the appearance of the equipment, which I would assume your backdrop, your props, so on and so forth. Did all the persons involved act as actors or actresses, display charisma, and acknowledge the audience? And was the show well choreographed from the skiers, the dock personnel, the boat drivers, everyone involved? So those are the four criteria. And, and I would add that what is in the act reasoning sheet in the PNP that judges use as kind of a reference, here are the notes that are in there. So what might be considered a positive showmanship? Lots of energy, great real smiles, look like everyone was having fun, rel- well-rehearsed characters and skits, engaged the audience, connected with the audience on water and on stage, Lots of enthusiasm. So I think that I think energy and enthusiasm to me is showmanship. Uh, that's that's your biggest thing. And then the negatives are kind of the negatives of those things. Little to no smiles, lack of energy, skits unrehearsed, dances messy, participants look lost, um, those sorts of things. So so showmanship is stuff looking good, but to to me. Uh, and because of what is in the act reasoning sheet, it, which is different than what Dave read as the four criteria, it's more about energy and enthusiasm and smiles and acknowledging the audience as well as your choreography. I think all of that plays a role in showmanship. So can you have a not good ski show? Well, have you seen this? Have you seen it? Not a not good ski show and still score high in showmanship? Have you ever seen that? Because energy, all that is intertwined. You get sucked the life out of you when it you're sucks. having a bad show, right? It, that's and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that any team could overcome. It's like one of those things. If you don't have a good show, it's boy, <laughs> like human, human. It's natural. Yeah, like human yeah. reaction when things aren't going well. I think it's possible. It just doesn't happen often. Yeah. Yep. Being critical here, and I know that there was probably reasons for it, but I mean, you know, we kind of play 
partly a contrarian in, in, in just doing the podcast and, and trying to come up with different thoughts and initiatives on how to make the sport better. But I think this is an opportunity to potentially, just like we have in towboat driving, to try to reference this a little bit more for the judges. Um, there's 250 points. No one's questioning that by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I feel if we could go ahead and box those criteria in a little bit more and then communicate that to the clubs, I think that there would be a better opportunity to, to, to take advantage of some of those points. I agree. And maybe break that down, that 250, break it down to, you know, a couple of a few 75s and, and just give it some parameters, some specifics. Here's the other thing, though, and I've always thought this and we've talked about it before. No matter how good your team is, no matter how big, no matter how talented, you can always have better showmanship and better introductions and a better production. We talked about it with the show production podcast. There's no reason that the size or talent of your team should impact your showmanship and introductions. Your showmanship and introductions is about your attention to detail and your coaching and your directing and your leadership to enforce those things and to practice those things and rehearse those things and dial those in. And we, we see it all the time that the quality of a team uh, is often equated to the quality of their showmanship and intro. And it's too bad because uh, you could have a, a smaller team with less talent than some others and still have amazing showmanship and amazing introductions, but rarely do you see it dialed in that way. Um, so. Yeah, I think it gets overlooked for sure. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, well, it's, it's all about skiing, 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 skiing and said it before, say it again, but skiing something that's hard to control. Right. But man, the production and the, the showmanship and all of that is all stuff that can be rehearsed and polished year round. As always, we have some incredible sponsors on this show, and the board shop is one of those. Located in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, they have an awesome retail shop. They are loaded with all the summer board sports gear you would ever want. Boards, apparel, ropes, bindings, flight boards, all the things you'd ever want. They are also a winter sports company with all your snow ski and snowboard gear and apparel that you need for your winter sports season. They've got it all. They are tremendous supporters of show skiing. The Richling family is awesome. Get yourself to Lake Geneva or get online at bswake.com and get everything you need. That's bswake.com. There is an incredible crop of female show skiers who are tremendous role models for female skiers everywhere. And we've been lucky to have a few of these awesome guests on the show. In this particular clip, our episode with Bria Imsey, we asked her about what she loves about show skiing and what drives her to be great and try other things. You have a real passion for the sport and, you know, I'm glad earlier you kind of said, talked about how hard you work at it because that's my perspective of you as well is, is it maybe everything doesn't come totally natural, but nobody works harder than you. Like you work your ass off to get to where you're at. And, and that drive and that passion is really obvious to us who watch you, which is super cool. So 
All that being said, what do you love most about the sport and what drives you to be great and what drives you to do more in show skiing? Uh, I mean, I, I've loved this sport since the, the second I started skiing. I think obviously a big thing is that I can do it with my family. I can do it with my friends. It's just another day on the lake for me hanging out. But another reason I really like the sport is there's there's endless possibilities. You can never run out of a trick to try, a new uh, discipline to try, that there's so much just out there. And, you know, this summer with COVID, um, I really kind of challenged myself. I, I'm, of course, I swivel all the time, but I used to trick ski in college. And I was like, why, you know, why can't I bust this back out? And this is a great summer to learn it. Um, and I really, you know, I got back on it and I was like, I, you know, I miss doing this. It's something that I love doing and it's different too. Um, of course the, the style and the forms are a little bit different, but it's just not always grabbing my swivel ski at that point too. You know, now I can grab my jump skis, I can grab my trick ski, or I can go for a barefoot set and it really keeps it fun and entertaining for me as well. Um, because I have so many other things I want to learn in those other disciplines as well. Um, and it keeps it fresh and it keeps it fun and I can set new goals and other departments and it, it overall, I feel like it makes me a better skier as well. Um, and just kind of get to learn, you know, some of those strengths. Um, I ski with Kaylee Kohler a lot and she of course is the barefoot queen. So she's been giving me a lot of barefoot tips and I've been helping her with swivel. Um, so it really kind of plays off in that, in that long run that you get to meet more people, the more kind of disciplines you do as well. And, and, you know, what are some of their favorites? What are some of their trips or tips and tricks that have helped them? um along the way and it's uh it's fun for me and it's it's really exciting just to try something different i love being in those kind of non-traditional acts too um don't necessarily make it all the time but it, when i'm on the board for jump one like you better believe i'm on dock number three ready to go sometimes they even forget <laughs> about ballet because i'm in jump you know yeah. Um, but it's just, it, you know, it's fun, especially for our home shows that there's a little, you know, not such a strict structure, um, mm -hmm. that I get to ski with the guys and jump. And it's a little crazy for me to look over and you got somebody doing a front flip next to you when you're hellying. Um, yeah. I'm still just not quite with that, but, um, just the possibilities that it, that it can lead to too. And I really hope to kind of take off with the trick skiing here in the next couple of years too. Yeah. Um, it's it's fun and exciting for me. And it's like girl power, you know. You you you're such a champion for women and girls, and a great role model for what an awesome female skier can be. And it's cool that today we're recording this podcast. It happens to be National Women's Day, mm -hmm. uh, and that's super cool. And so I think of you in that role, like that's you. You're a champion for women, and you coach, and you judge, and you help and you're an awesome badass female skier you know it you kind of got it all going on i love that yeah and that this is really cool that it's international women's day and i have you know so many women to look up for that's kind of set this stage for me and it's crazy to think that now i'm in the position that people are looking up to me that they're you know, I get a lot of calls and texts for, for swivel help all the time or requests for them to come out and teach the girls. And, you know, that honestly means so, so much to me that, you know, people are out there, they're supporting for me, uh, they're rooting for me, um, they're, they're encouraging me. Um, so I love to give back. I love to teach the sport. I love to do anything that I can that revolves around it. Um, so it's, it's really an honor to be kind of, thank you, Matt, to be considered in one of those women that you consider um, kind of those top top skiers per se but 
Um, you know, I, I really do it because I love the sport. And I think that when I was younger, I was like, did I have, you know, someone that I could text right away with those, you know, questions that I have. And, you know, I don't know if I, I really had that answer at the time. Um, but for me to be kind of an outlet for those girls, um, it's a really great feeling and I love doing it. I want, you know, I, go for it is what I have to say to, for all those mm-hmm. girls. We also had the one and only Gabby Tash on the show, and we asked her who some of her role models were when she was coming up in the sport and what it's like for her to be viewed as a role model to so many women skiers today. So, Gabby, you've already mentioned a lot, a lot of big names. Um, who would you consider, you know, as your mentors, role models as you've, you know, as you've progressed, you know, in this sport, not just in swivel, but in jump and bear, I mean, everything, right. You're not, you're a great all around skier. Um, there are so many people who have helped me and I, I can't like put it directly to one person. I mean, it all like on mad city, there was all those girls like Kristen and Ann and Leah, um, Straub and Sarah Straw or Sarah Tubbs now and Bria, um, my parents, huge role models. I'm so thankful for them. Um, they were the ones who always told me to just follow my dreams. Like when I would try to decide between doing something and then a school event there or, or a ski event or a school event, they were always like, school will always be there. Work will always be there. Take that opportunity and run with it, which is just awesome. Um, and then definitely Rachel. Rachel was so helpful and, um, we just have so much fun on the water. She, we'd go out and practice and it was more of just us two going out as friends. And then uh, she'd maybe be like, hey, try this or do this. And so I'm super thankful for all her advice. And she definitely pushed me. That's awesome. So let's turn the tables a little bit. You know, just like you had all these role models to learn up to, look up to, people look up to Gabby Tash uh, and they want to be you. Uh, you you can do it all in a ski show, as Adam mentioned. You know, you're not you're not just a one trick pony. You swivel and pyramid and jump and barefoot and all of it. You're a well rounded performer. And so, how do you feel about being a role model and an ambassador that other people look up to? It's kind of crazy, and I guess I never would have thought that I would be looked at that way. But I also feel like it's fun, and I just want to be as good of a role model for those. Um, out there who look up to me as others were that I looked up to. Um, so I just want to always be like an open person for any skiers to come, come to any girl jumpers or swivelers if they have any questions. Like I just want to be able to answer all those and help them out and um, feel like they have a supportive member in the skiing community. Yeah. And you're great sure. at, uh, you know, taking on a role of coaching or mentoring younger skiers. I've seen it firsthand. Do you, do you like that? uh, you know, helping out the younger, the younger generation. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's the best part. It's fun. Um, and it also challenges you as a skier as well. Like when you have to break down different skills, you're like, Oh, I just, maybe I just naturally do that, but it's better to explain it this way. And, Oh, maybe I can learn from how they're doing it and try that. And maybe that's actually the better way to do it. So no, it's been really fun. And um, I love meeting new people throughout the ski world, just like at Think Tank this weekend. It was really fun to um, teach and then hear all the different backgrounds that people are coming from. Well, Gabby, this podcast is a great medium for, you know, for, for getting things out there. So I'll ask the question, what advice do you have for young girls who want to be like Gabby Tash? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, 
I think that it's super important to kind of embrace the idea that skiing has no limit. And that's something that's so exciting about the sport. I think that um, you can always challenge yourself. And so it should never kind of stop and to always keep trying to learn the next thing. Or maybe you can invent something or change something so that uh, the sport keeps growing. Um, I also think just to keep having fun on the water. I think going back to like the showmanship aspect, I think that we can emphasize how important the smile and flair and engaging with the audiences in a performance. And so I think that's some good advice that when you're out there skiing, just remember to have fun and take time to appreciate the audience and focus less on exactly the skill you're doing or master that skill so that you can add on to being that extra great performer. And in this year's tournament season preview, we had some kids on the show once again, and we thought it was worth revisiting here what their predictions were on who they believe is going to win this year's Division I Nationals. All right, let's move on to Nationals. I want your predictions, each and every one of you, of who's going to win Nationals and who might place in the top five. Who's it going to – let's start with that. Abby, who's going to win nationals this year? Division one nationals. Wonder Lake or RIJ? Pick one. Yep, yeah, pick one. Pick one. one. Well, it can only be one winner. Mm. Wonder Lake. Wonder Lake for Wonder the win. Lake. All right. Okay. Gavin, who you got? Who's going to win nationals? I have four teams that I always go by. <laughs> That I've okay. almost always won every time. There's, Let's hear you analyze this. Yes. Um, the Rock Aqua Jays, Mad City, um, the Aquanuts, and Wonder Lake. Okay. And I know the Rock Aqua Jays don't ski very well when it's not their home site. And last time I was in Indiana, it was in Indiana, the Rock Aqua Jays got fourth. And Wonder Lake did very good. So I'm hopeful for Wonder Lake, and I think Wonder Lake's going to win. Two votes for, two Wonder, for Lake. Wonder Lake. God, and Holy dude, smokes. And the dude who remembers 2019 Nationals in Warsaw, Indiana. And who won, in 20, who, who who won, won in that year in Warsaw? 2019, I can't remember. Who was that? Mm. I watched oh, yeah. that show today. The only time Nationals was in <laughs> Warsaw. Tate, who you got? Who's going to win Nationals? Hartwick Huskies? Um, I wish. Oh, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to go with R.A.J. because they just haven't won in a while. And I think this is their year and they're stacked all around the board. They sure are. Great prediction. We got R.A.J. All right. Kennedy, who is going to win nationals? I was thinking Mad City. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're not going to complain what what do you why do you think mad city they always have good costumes and makeup in their production and their show last year i loved it oh thank you we appreciate that last year was my favorite show all right you like that all right that's fun stuff right night that was a wild nationals last year with the water and current and sheesh and three teams within four points of winning it was wild, just wild. All right, so we got two Wonder Lakes, an RAJ, and a Mad City. We'll see how this shapes up this year. 
And in our Hank Amos episode, one of our most recent ones, which we believe is probably our best ever episode, it is absolute must listen. What a storyteller that guy is. Hank talks about today's Buck Up Tour, and he also drops a huge news bomb that show skiers everywhere are going to want to hear. Touching on your your statement about the current affairs and freestyle jump, I'm I'm seeing this. Is it the is it the Buck Up Tour or what's? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm watching this and I'm I'm so impressed. Like these young guys are going for it. You know, I've been. Mm-hmm talking a little bit with uh, Carter Buckman and, yep, yep. you know, trying to give him some some uh, pointers here and there. But like you said, like just to see the enthusiasm for this sport come back um, yep. is another reason why I'm I'm stepping back in. I'm going to, you know, slowly start to to make my um, my insertion back into the show ski world. I'm moving down to Florida. I got tired of L.A., um, so I'm hoping to be, uh, the oldest guy to ever do a one ski Mobius. Um, that's, that's my life goal right now. Let's go. Uh, yeah, buddy. So I've just said it here on, <laughs> on, on the podcast. So now I'm accountable, but, uh, yep, the you know, internet I'm, is I'm forever. St- it's out there, right? Hank, it's I'm out still there. in pretty good. I'm in good shape. Um, and I, I want to, I want to throw the, throw the jumpers back on and start getting back after it. That is awesome. Well, there you go. A little fun and some of the what we are calling the best of the Ski Show podcast. Hopefully that uh, jogged your memory or made you interested in re-listening to or digging up some old episodes that you haven't listened to yet. Great stuff from all of our guests. Thank you to our sponsors today. Flyman Skis, custom-made jump skis, featherboard swivel skis at affordable prices. Get yours at flymanskis.com and The Board Shop, located in Lake Geneva. They've got all your summer and winter board sports gear. Get yours at bswake.com. Thanks again to all of our listeners making us the number five ranked podcast in the water sports genre. Thanks again. This is Matt and Adam, and this is The Ski Show. Thank you for listening to The Ski Show, the ultimate show ski podcast with Matt and Adam. We're the only show specifically dedicated to all things show ski. If you have feedback or ideas for future shows, hit us up on social media or email us at theskishowpodcast at gmail.com.